Hello. We're pleased you've been able to tune in once again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome back to the program. So the idea of having your favourite preacher, and there are people in this city who refuse to be connected to a local community of believers because they've got their favourite television preacher. Can I tell you, your favourite television preacher is probably never going to visit you if you need prayer where you're at. When a group of people who have no relationship to one another and have many and varied opinions about the stuff of life meet together weekly, there are going to be challenges to navigate and there is the potential for much division. That's where the church finds itself and from the beginning of the Christian church there have been challenges to unity. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues a series of messages looking directly at Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, where he spoke directly to the issue of division and unity. The principles Paul wrote about can be applied directly to marriage, friendships and other relationships. So let's join Dr. Corbett now for part three of the Corinthian series. I'm about to pray. I'd like to have you join with me in prayer. And what I would... What I would really like, and I want to lead you in, is, is a prayer that I introduced a couple of weeks ago where it's a prayer where we ask God to open our heart and speak to us. Uh, today, this is not a lecture. We are, we're not here to lecture. We're, we're not here to impress. We're here to open God's word. So would you pray with me, please? Father, open our hearts. Help us to hear your word. Help us to hear it in a way that it is so fresh, it transforms the way we think, the way we feel, the way we talk, the way we see the world. Open our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians. Uh, took a little bit of an excursus last week and I appreciate uh, Pastor Donna bringing a brilliant word about why we as believers shouldn't be bound by fear. So thank you for that, Donna. And as we're looking through, the, through this epistle, today I want to give you a little bit of a, a glimpse of the map of where we're going to go with this. This is not just a section where we fill the next few moments of our worship service. This is a part of worship. This is designed to help us worship. This is exactly the essence of worship, which is to take our thoughts captive and put them onto Christ and, and who he is. And that's, that's my, my hope here. And so as we look at this, I'm, I'm also aware that what I'm doing is not just preaching. I want to pastor you. I want to be a shepherd according to God's word. And to do that, we need God's word to guide us. We need God's word to feed our soul. We need God's word to inform the way we think. That's what I'm doing. As we look at your, your word, Father, may you open our hearts as we've just prayed and may it transform us. There's several issues that I'm going to be pointing out in this map. And today we're looking at one of them. That's the problem that the Corinthian church had that was like, shall we say, cancer in the body of, of the church. It was the divisions that they had and the disunity that they were experiencing and the call that the Apostle Paul has for them to enjoy and experience unity. 
We read in the opening chapter of verse, verse 10, it says this, I appeal to you, the Greek word is parakaleo, and parakaleo is with, with deep emotion, Paul is saying, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I, want, I, I actually want us to look at this. I want us to understand this. One of the best times to be able to talk about disunity and division is when there isn't any. In fact, one of the points I'm going to make today is that the Apostle Paul had a long list of things that they had sent to him that were problems in the church and then he had another list that came to him verbally from the servants of Chloe who had said, but Paul, there's, there's more you need to know that's going on here. He had a long list to work through with the Corinthians of all the things that were going wrong in this church. And we're not in 2 Corinthians yet, but in 2 Corinthians, around about chapter 7, Paul says this, and blow me away. He says, I have full confidence in you that you'll get this right. I'm thinking, Paul, <laughs> this church has got so many problems. How on earth could you have full confidence? And I want us to see and to understand the leadership principle that's involved here because that same leadership principle affects your marriage. It affects your relationship with parents, with siblings, with work colleagues. When it seems like there's no hope of reconciliation or resolving any of the problems, just remember, <laughs> Paul could have full confidence in the Corinthians for a reason. And I hope to make that reason clear today as we look at this. Now notice the last section of Paul's appeal, his parakaleo, the deep appeal, the deep motion. He was deeply moved and trying to move them to have the same mind and the same judgment. We think of when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the Ephesians became clearly the most important church in the New Testament and Paul says this to them in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does that look like? What, what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the call that you've received? And I hope one of the things that we hear today, and I hope you've already heard it, is that making the gathering of believers with your brothers and sisters a priority in your life. Can I tell you, the enemy of your soul does not want you to make what we're doing right now a priority in your life. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy. He goes on, verse 2, with all humility. All right, put your hand up if you're humble. Thank you, Jake. Jake and I have had this conversation because Paul says, I want you to do this with humility. Is that possible? Is he asking us to do something that's not possible? In other words, we sometimes think, in, in fact, this would have been a little exercise. Put your hand up if you're humble. The person who put their hand up, we all would have looked at them and done, and done what? <laughs> how dare you? You arrogant thing. And now how does that person feel? Humbled. Put your hand up if you'd like to walk in humility. Who are you pointing at? And you're pointing at someone beside. <laughs> and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain. Now notice what this enables a church to do. To maintain the what? Oh, hello. Your microphones are not working. <laughs> to maintain the what? The unity. 
And look what it takes. It takes humility. It takes gentleness. So not that angry response. And it takes bearing with one another in patience. Now, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up if anyone finds that easy. Because I don't think any of us find that easy. Paul is not asking us to do something easy. Or should I say, the Lord is not asking us. Because this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. He's not asking us to do something easy. But he's asking us to do something necessary. I've been in this city now pastoring for 27 years. And you know how many times I've seen a church split and shrink because of some dispute that's happened? More times than I care to remember. I know that the enemy wants to destroy the church in this city, wants to destroy the church in this state. And one of the surest ways to do it is to have brother fight brother, sister fight sister, people fight pastor, pastor get tired of all the bickering and all the rest of it. And I thank God we are not in that place, but I don't want us ever to be. Can I just hear a little amen? I'm looking forward to the big one. The unity, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that's what church should be like, shouldn't it? That's what church should be like. And how many people have experienced that? Or should I flip that and say, how many people have not experienced that? That is not their experience of church, but it should be. And that's what we want. It should be. So here's the question. How does a local church avoid division? How does it avoid the very thing Paul said that needed to be resolved? as he's writing to the Corinthians and he's writing to the Ephesians as well. When we think of the last part of that statement that Paul said in verse 10 and 11, that he wanted them to be of the same mind and same judgment, how should a local church be eager to maintain its unity, as he said to the Ephesians? To be eager to maintain it. Eager to maintain it. It means, I think, at least this, that if someone gets their nose out of joint... If someone gets upset about something, they shouldn't be too quick to go, that's it, I'm writing this off. This cannot be resolved. We cannot be reconciled. I cannot move forward. I'm leaving. Shouldn't be too quick to do that. Can I say you shouldn't be too quick to do that in a marriage? You shouldn't be too quick to do that in your workplace? You shouldn't be too quick to do it in church. There is something about walking in humility with an eager desire to pursue the unity of the Spirit, as Paul is saying here. How should a local church be eager to maintain its unity? I'm going to offer you a couple of things that I see in the text of Scripture. And to do that, I know I'm going to have people push back because they're going to hear me use a word that for some people, and I've had people over the years get very upset with me because they think I've used something that went, you know, language has good language, then, then you get into swearing and obscenity. And they, some people have accused me of going right up to the edge and dipping my toe in the water when I've used some words like, you thought I was going to use something, didn't you? <laughs> so I'm going to use one very similar that I know some people are going to get upset with, and it's the word rules. And you're going to hear this. As soon as people hear rules, they hear, oh, here we go again. Another legalistic church, another legalistic pastor. Oh, here we go. And I'm going to think you're an idiot. <laughs> if you think that to me, there's a word I just dip my toe in, uh, Gordy. <laughs> because having rules is not legalism. 
Now, there are Christians, if you don't know what we're talking about when we talk about legalism, legalism is one of the worst insults you can, you can throw at another Christian or a, a church. That's a very legalistic church. Why is it legalistic? Well, they have rules. Rules like what? Well, they start on time. They, I went to that Lagana church. They have a 54321 at the guy at the camera at the back and he tells them to start right at 10 o'clock. That's a rule and I'm not into rules. You're not into rules? So when you're on the road next, just let me know. Because I don't want to be near you because rules are necessary. Rules are necessary for a game to be played well. And I, I don't know if anyone actually understands AFL rules at the moment. But apparently the ones that most people understand makes the game somewhat understandable. And it's the same with life and it's the same with church and it's the same with family as well. Every family needs rules. We have a rule that if you're uh, under the age of 35, you have to, at night, put your phone in the lounge room and it stays there overnight. And, and our family loved that rule. I didn't hear a loud amen coming from, the, coming from this section of the church where my daughter's sitting. But it's a rule. The phone goes on the TV. And you know, we could, we could talk about the why that's a, a good rule and important, but hopefully parents understand that. Churches need rules. If you don't have rules, you have chaos. And having rules is not legalism. It's not legalistic. How can a church be of the same mind and have the same judgment? That's what Paul said that church should be. And I, I guess it's, it's what we too should be applying since we're reading scripture. This was written to the Corinthians, but we're now applying it to us. I appeal to you, brothers, he said, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. He goes on, for it has been reported to me. So here's the other list. Here's the verbal list. By Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Can you imagine walking into a church where quarreling was happening? Can you imagine a visitor walking into a church where there is, well, you, and it's on, like it is on, it is a Barney. I'm not asking you to give me any feedback on whether you actually have walked into a church like that, but I have. And I've thought, what am I doing here? I was, I was visiting, and it was, it was on, and it was ugly. And, you know, the, the one thought that entered my head that night when I was there, it was this. Anyone want to take a guess? I'm not coming back. Why would I come back to this? The Apostle Paul exercised one of the main responsibilities of apostolic, I've got that in brackets, leadership. And the reason I've got it in brackets is because I think we need all our leaders in our church to, to, to lead apostolically. And what I mean by that is what Paul said, this is what should be done. This is how leaders should lead. That's what I mean apostolically this is what the apostle has said should be done and the way it was done apostolically this is the first thing Paul did with those who were causing divisions who were actually causing the disunity and again this is not I think some people see the role of a pastor as getting all the glory and here I am up here and I'm just all the limelight's on me and I'm soaking in the attention and can I tell you what's going on on the inside of me is not that at all but there are some people who think that's what leading is all about and I'm going to tell you this next point I'm going to make about how Paul dealt with the disunity 
and dealt with the divisions is one of the most I have found leaders are the most reluctant to exercise this aspect of leadership and it's called confrontation. Paul confronted those who were causing divisions and disunity. At one point in this epistle, we get into chapter 3 or 4, Paul says to those who were causing the division, causing the disunity, he says, I'm coming to you soon and then we'll see how strong you are. Then we'll see how confident you are. Then we'll see whether you're prepared to take me on to my face because Paul was there for 18 months and they didn't bring any of this up. He leaves and suddenly they swoop like vultures on this church. And Paul is, this is now the second, first Corinthians is Paul's second epistle that he's written to them. And he's going to write at least another two, maybe another three epistles and we have one of those called 2 Corinthians. So he confronted those who were causing the disunity. And, and can I point out, in, in Dr. Gary Chapman's book called Covenant Marriage, he says harmony and unity within a marriage is often seen as if the other person's doing something that really annoys you, don't mention it, don't raise it, just let it go. And he said that is not covenant marriage because covenant marriage is if someone's doing something that you've already asked them not to do and they continue to do it, they are, the word is, annoying. And if someone's annoying, whether it's a parent, child, child, parent, whether it's sister, brother, whatever it is, we, you need to deal with that. You hold them to account. And in, in this book by Dr. Gary Chapman, one of the world's most highly regarded marriage counsellors, he says that is when you are really loving someone when you hold them to account over their behaviour and call them out on certain things, not in a nasty way, but in a way of repairing the relationship. And this is what Paul is doing. Those causing divisions were disagreeing about, firstly, the source of authority for Christian doctrine. Who does Paul think he is telling us what to believe? This was kind of their thing. So Paul responds to that. Who do I think I am? Well, my speech... And my message were not in plausible words of wisdom and I want you to hear that is sarcasm. Because these people were the wise. These people were the philosophers. We speak with eloquence. We speak with words of wisdom. Paul, he's not even a trained philosopher. He can't even speak very well. And you know what Paul does later on in, this, in these epistles? He says, that's actually right. I'm not a great speaker. I'm not eloquent like these fancy philosophers are. But my words... They and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And here you have your choice. The wisdom of men sounds plausible, sounds really good, sounds acceptable, or a demonstration of the signs and wonder work of the Holy Spirit that confirms that message. And what Paul was able to do in Corinth he will later write in 2 Corinthians with the signs of an apostle done with all patience in signs and wonders. There was healings, there was deliverance, there was all kind of extraordinary things that happened and none of those philosophers ever did that. And I'm guessing that's why during the 18 months Paul was there, they never confronted him. They never confronted him at all. So those causing divisions, what else were they on about? They were disagreeing about which preacher had the authority to govern them. This is kind of like this same deal as well. 
Who does Paul think he is? A, quoting the Old Testament to us because we're New Covenant Christians. So who does he think he is? And who does he think he is to tell us what to do? And Paul responds to this and says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, who came in after Paul, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Well, we're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So the idea of having your favourite preacher, and there are people in this city who refuse to be connected to a local community of believers because they've got their favourite television preacher. Can I tell you, your favourite television preacher is probably never going to visit you if you need prayer where you're at, probably. Unless I'm your favourite television preacher, I probably will. But I'm not on television. But you hear my heart, hear my point. This is what Paul's saying. Those causing divisions disagreed about the standards and the spiritual implications of sexual immorality. This was a huge problem in the Corinthian church. If I had the time, if I had the time, and maybe I should make the time, but now is not the time, I would talk why we as Christians believe that marriage is sacred. Why we believe that marriage, sex and babies is a package that cannot be separated from each other. Why we believe that sex belongs within marriage and only within marriage because sex itself is sacred. Why the creation of human life is sacred. Marriage is sacred. Sex is sacred. Babies are a sacred gift. And we would see those as a package deal. Marriage, sex within marriage, sex particularly, has four purposes. Number one, it unites a man and a woman together. And the Bible says they become one. Secondly, it's an expression of love. You should not be having sex with someone you have not committed your life to. Because commitment is the highest expression of love. Because it requires the highest commitment of love to have sex with someone, it requires the highest commitment two people can make, and that's marriage between a man and a woman. Thirdly, sex is about creating babies. It's designed to create babies. You know, when I hear of a married couple, or even, so let's, let's back that up, a couple that had sex, and she gets pregnant, and they say, we don't know what went wrong. It's like, what, which part of biology class did you skip? Because nothing went wrong. This is how it's designed. And fourthly, and this is the one that the world does not really know, marriage and sex within, sex within marriage is designed by God to reflect his love for his people. And the Bible describes the love of Christ for the church as the kind of relationship of two lovers within marriage being united sexually. 
that we become one with the Lord. That's the same language as sex. And in fact, if you look at 1 John chapter 3, it describes God putting his spirit into believers. And that Greek word for, for his spirit is the word seed in English. And it's the Greek word sperma. It's very sexual language that describes the relationship spiritually between us and the Lord as the church, the bride of Christ. And that's one of the shadows that sex within marriage represents. It represents the, the relationship of Christ and his church. Hence, Paul could say this, it is actually reported among you that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated among pagans for a man has his father's wife. Paul is mortified that there is sexual immorality happening within the church and they're not mortified. But I'm, he goes on in this same chapter, or a few verses later, spilled into the next chapter. Oh no, same chapter, sorry. But, I am, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. Now, the list doesn't stop there. We're not just singling out this sin. We'll go on and look at those other things. But this is so important. And I think there are some people that think sex is a trivial thing. It's not trivial. And there should, good grief, there should be enough there should be enough in the media happening right now about women who've been sexually abused where, we, where we, we need to understand this has damaged them. This is not a trivial thing. Paul says anyone who claims to be a Christian and is having sex outside of marriage and is sexually immoral, that's the language. Or greed. Or is an idolater. A reviler. A drunkard. Or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a one. And can I say that might sound harsh. But the whole point here is Paul is saying. What you have as a church. The brotherhood. The sisterhood. The love you have for each other. The love you share with each other. And for God. The moment when you're down. And a brother or sister can come along and lift you up. That is worth gold. That is worth more than gold. When you're in need and someone can help you at that time. This is precious. And the one who treats that trivially and takes the name of Christ and blasphemes it by doing this kind of wickedness does not deserve to be a part of that community at that time. And keeping them out of it should cause them to go, I want back in. How do I get back in? And that's actually the point of First. Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul says about this man who is sleeping with his stepmother don't do this this is a disgrace here's the good news they did it they said you can't come you cannot join us on Sunday but I want to it doesn't matter if you want to until you repent you cannot rejoin our group here's the great news I'm jumping ahead in the story he did he repented. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, restore him now. Restore him. And he says, if you don't, Satan will put bitterness into his soul and we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. Do you not know? This is the importance 
of what I said, the fourth point of sex is it represents the relationship God wants with people. This is why it's a shadow of the ultimate reality. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. He's now going to spell out what unrighteous looks like. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, which is salvation. There are churches across this world where their governments have passed laws forbidding them from telling you what I just told you. Did you hear what I said? Our Tasmanian government is on the brink of doing the same thing. And I thought, I'm going to read this today. And it's going on YouTube and Facebook and all the rest of it, and it can stay there forever. Because they'd never take something like that down, would they? And such were some of you. There's the hope. Wouldn't it be great if we saw greedy people come to know Christ? Hello? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we saw swindlers come in here and turn to Christ? Wouldn't it be great if we saw drunkards come in here and give their lives to Christ and be transformed? Do you hear what I'm saying? Wouldn't it be great if we saw the sexually immoral, the ones who know they're hurting, the ones who know they're broken, the ones who are trying to fill something that's missing in their life, the ones who've been deceived into thinking that's their identity when it's not their identity at all and they come in and they give their life to Christ and the Spirit of God transforms them and such were some of you. They were already in the Corinthian church. All of the people on that list were already tra converted, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel and in the Corinthian church. What an interesting church. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Those causing divisions, disagreement, disagreed about what marriage was all about. I'm actually giving you a survey of 1 Corinthians right now. This is chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians now we've jumped into. Paul says this about marriage because there were some people saying, if you get married, you are sinning. Can you believe it? There was a whole other group of people who said, if you get married and have sex within marriage, you're sinning. That's bizarre. Paul says this, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And if you want to know more, you should read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul talks about this is the Christian view of marriage. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. In the early 1500s, in a place called Wittenberg, in North Germany, there was a monk by the name of, anyone know his name? Martin Luther, who read the Bible for himself and he discovered I didn't have to whip myself as he had been doing as a monk in order to torture himself so that he could get rid of sin from his soul. All I had to do was to receive the forgiveness that Christ offered, that he gave freely. That's called grace. 
And then he discovered as he continued to read through the New Testament, because he'd never read it, and he, re he reads that marriage is, is holy. Marriage is holy. And he'd been taught by the Pope that priests and monks were not allowed to marry because that would be unholy. And he said, it's either God's word or it's man's word. I'm going with God's word. And he married a nun by the name of Catherine. Kitty. And it was win-win because uh, German Christians love beer. And she was a beer meister. And she just kept them coming. And they had a happy marriage because he saw marriage is good. And all those who are married said, I don't know if I've got all those who are married <laughs> just said that. Let me try this one. All those who want to be married would say, <laughs> those causing divisions disagreed about whether it was right to eat food sacrificed to an idol. They said, an idol's nothing. Go ahead and eat it. It doesn't matter. Paul has something to say about that. But before we get there, Paul says this about you think you've got knowledge that makes you holier than someone else now concerning food offered to idols we know that all of us possess knowledge this knowledge puffs up but love builds up so even if you think it's right even if you know it's right and there's someone who doesn't think it's right and they're troubled by it don't use your knowledge arrogantly build them up with love be patient be kind be considerate church unity is never achieved if we're wondering how we achieve the very thing Paul says to do, which is be of the same mind, be of the same judgment. Does that mean we should, whenever we disagree, we're just not going to talk about it? We're just not going to talk about the disagreement. Can you see here how Paul has talked about it? Each of the points of disagreement, he said, okay, let's talk about it. Let's have a look at what God's word says. So church unity is never achieved by sacrificing what is true and right according to God's word. And it's the same with marriage. You can't resolve a conflict in a marriage if you're going to avoid the conflict. And it's the same in church life. Things need to be dealt with. And it's the role of church leaders to manage division and to protect unity. I said that we need rules. As we read through 1 Corinthians, we see Paul's given rules. He's given rules about marriage. He's given rules about the one who is claiming to be a Christian and very, very publicly celebrating the fact that they are not living like a Christian while they claim to be a Christian. And there's a rule for this. Put them out of the fellowship until they repent. We will see that there's other issues that the Corinthians were being divisive over and... These included, would you believe, the place of women in the church. Should women have any role in the church service? This was a point of division in Corinth. The Lord's table, Holy Communion. They were, they were doing things around that that caused division. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. This was a very, very spiritual church. And there were things that were dividing them about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
and the resurrection of the dead, some were actually saying there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead and it was causing great division. Now here's the, the leadership principle. This is a leadership principle about your life, how you manage your life, about the marriage you're either in, want to be in or wish you were in. And here is the principle for us as a church. Paul did not let these divisions distract him from sharing the message of Christ's gracious offer. As I read through this, I'm finding in all of Paul's epistles, he's, with the exception of the, his epistle to the Philippians, he's dealing with problems. <clears throat> and in all of these epistles, he will, uh, he will address the problems and then he'll say, but let me, let me tell you about what Jesus has done. Let me tell you how I've surrendered my life to him because I know he died in my place. And I want to preach this to as many people as I can. And he can't help himself. He won't be distracted by all of the problems. Can I tell you that one of my leadership maxims is never react to issues that are happening. Always try and set the agenda through delivering God's word and what it says. That's why I said to you, we're dealing with today divisions and disunity and how we achieve unity and for some churches if the pastor got up to do that they go oh here we go now he's going to talk about it but we're not talking about we're not you see what I'm saying we're dealing with things before they become an issue we're not reacting to the issue and here Paul could could be accused of reacting to all these issues but now listen to how he he comes down the home stretch of first Corinthians for though I am free from all, 1 Corinthians 9, 19, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. He was prepared to humble himself. He was prepared to start conversations with people whom, with whom he disagreed, that he might build a relationship so that he could share Christ with them and lead them to Christ. He says this to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. Why? that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I did it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So you see the point here? Paul is saying there's all these distractions, there's all these things that we could go on and on and on about. But let me tell you, if I can just get you to see Christ and what he's done, a lot of these problems would just fall into place and take care of themselves. And I hope, Sunday by Sunday, that that is exactly what happens here. You come in and you get distracted from your distractions. And you get distracted with a much grander distraction. And that distraction is not a problem. That distraction is the solution. And it's not an it. It's a he. Christ. God of Jacob, great I am, King of angels, Son of man.
said to you, Paul was not distracted from his mission of preaching the gospel, the gospel, the only way God has ordained for people to come to know Christ, come to know him, come to accept his forgiveness. He wasn't distracted. I've said to you many times, and even today I've said, part of my mission here today was, was to pass to you. I've also said many times that my job as a pastor is, pre is to prepare your soul to die well. To die well. And the only way you can die well if, is if you live well. Two weeks ago, my father was admitted to hospital 
with COVID. On Monday just gone, the critical care doctor said, I don't know how much longer he's going to survive. And so Tuesday, I was fortunate to have a FaceTime conversation with my dad with tubes and monitoring all over him in an isolation ward. Kim and I had gone over the week before to meet him, but we were denied access because he was in the COVID ward. We were able to comfort my mum, who I'm sure is watching now, and my brother, who lives in Devonport, and I got on the first flight this Thursday, just gone, to get over there, and we said, we'll be, we'll be there 9 o'clock. We'll just get off the plane, get in a car, and about 8.30, going down Princess Highway to get to my dad, and I said to him in the FaceTime call, Dad, I'm coming over, and we're going to have communion together, and I'm going to pray for you. And he said, I'm looking forward to it. That'll be great. At 8.30 on the way down, we got the phone call that my father had passed away. So there's a couple of things about this. He died in Christ. And it was, and I know my mum's watching this, and I know that when he was admitted and they said to her, this doesn't look good. Her first question to me when she rang, she said, are you my pastor? Because this has been their church for the last two and a bit years. And I said, I think I am. And that to me meant I had to help my dad die well. So here's my question to you. What's distracting you from accepting the message that God offers you now, which is forgiveness through Christ? What's the distraction? Is it friends? Is it popularity? Is it fun? Compared to eternity where your soul will be, after you leave this life, none of those things matter. What is it that's keeping you, Christian, from surrendering to God? What is it you who have not yet made that commitment that you will receive God's offer of forgiveness? What is it that's keeping you from surrendering to God? And accepting his offer of new life. What is it? Because whatever it is, I'm telling you right now, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. My dad died of COVID, something which many people had said to me is not much worse than a cold. And I'm, I'm not trying to make this more dramatic than it, than it actually is. 
you don't know whether you've got your next heartbeat guaranteed, let alone your tomorrow. Have you settled accounts with God? Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for all those who have never accepted your offer of forgiveness, your offer of new life, your offer of adoption, so that you can become their father. And God, there are many of us here now who could say, you are a good father to us. You are a good God. And Father, I pray that you would stir in their hearts. Father, I'm sure there are people who've been hurt by a Christian, someone claiming to be a Christian who didn't live very Christianly like we saw earlier in this message, and that has put them off Christ. That God somehow break through their heart and their mind that they might see. That was never Christ. But Lord, in the meantime, help us to live as Christ would have us live so that we don't be that hypocrite. So that we be the ones who are like a mirror, reflecting the light, love and truth of Christ into a world that is dark, empty and lonely. And so Father, I pray for all those right now who are saying, but I want, I want that. I want, I want to be forgiven. I want to come home. I want to re-surrender. I want to surrender my life to Christ. In this moment right now, you are not a million miles away from God. There's no fancy prayer. There's no fancy words. It's just simply this. God, please forgive me. Come into my life and help me to live for you. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee you, your life will be changed from this point on. Now, Father, help us as your people not to be distracted from making your offer of new life, your offer of hope, your offer of divine love available to whosoever. Lord, may we know the love of God. May we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and make that known to as many as we can, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select Corinthians Part 3 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on Spotify, SoundCloud or iTunes. As we've heard tonight, unity in the church is never achieved by sacrificing what is true and right according to God's word. Like Paul, we should not let things distract us from sharing the message of Christ's gracious offer. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.